It is good to be with you guys. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We are halfway through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, now, if you may have noticed, there is so much that is said in the Sermon on the Mount. We're not able to unpack every verse and every word. I do encourage you, uh, we have those prayer guides uh, to read those every week because we are reading the entire Sermon on the Mount at least Monday through Saturday. We may not cover every bit of it on Sunday, but we're doing our best. And so Matthew chapter 6. So we continue in this segment of Jesus' sermon um, where he's talking about spiritual disciplines like giving and, and praying and fasting. And, and we saw last week that Jesus not only teaches us how to do these things, but he teaches us how not to do these things. So Jesus says, look, here's how you give, here's how you pray, here's how you fast, but also here's how not to do those things, how not to give, how not to pray, how not to fast. And last week was about giving, and today is about prayer. And there are just a few questions I want to pose with all of you this morning um, before we dive into our text. The first question is this, do you struggle with prayer? Let me be the first one to tell you that it's okay if you do. It is okay if you struggle with prayer. If I'm being honest, there are times when I struggle with prayer. We all enter into different seasons throughout our Christian lives. We experience different hardships, uh, different trials. We're, we're all different. We're all wired differently. Our days look different. Our jobs are different. Our families are different. None of it looks the same. And so it's okay if you struggle with prayer. My prayer has been that at the end of our time together, you would be not only encouraged to pray, but motivated to pray. So do you struggle with prayer? Second question I want to ask, how often do you pray? How often do you pray? Maybe you wake up in the morning and that's your time where you pray. Before you eat, before you go to work, before you get the, the kids ready for school. Uh, how often do you pray? Maybe it's, it's in the evening, right before you go to bed, you say a little prayer Maybe the only time you pray is uh, before a meal, or maybe the only time that you actually pray is when you come here on Sunday. Maybe that's the only time you pray, and so how often do you pray? The last question I want to ask is, do you pray? Do you pray? Maybe there's someone in this room who's not quite sure how to implement prayer in your life. In Jesus' day, prayer was a huge deal. They would pray at certain times and at certain days like clockwork. It was routine for their lives. In fact, the religious leaders that Jesus is always re referring to would, would pick out large crowds of people. They would go to those large crowds of people specifically to pray. They would time their prayers around when groups of people were being gathered. They wanted to be seen by other people. Now, I ask these questions not to make anybody feel bad. These questions are worth considering. But Jesus doesn't say in our text together, if you pray, but when you pray. So Jesus doesn't say, look, I know I'm giving you guys a sermon. It's the greatest sermon that's ever going to pre be preached in the history of all history. Uh, if you ever get around to the time where you might pray, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, when you pray. It's the assumption. It's just the expectation that if you're a follower of the God of the universe, you pray. If you're like me, there's times when you are literally and legitimately praying for God's kingdom to come and his will be done on earth as it's being done in heaven. And then the very next moment, you're trying to contemplate in your head why the cowboys continue to disappoint. <laughs> it's normal to get distracted in prayer, church. Don't feel bad about getting distracted 
and pray. It happens more often than you think. And it happens to more people than you might think. And so Jesus has just finished talking about giving, how not to give, how to give. Now he moves on to prayer. And so this is where we dive in. Jesus is speaking, Matthew 6. We're going to start in verse 5, and he says this. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. So there's that word again. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, now he's talking to you and to me, followers of Jesus, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So last week I mentioned that in the Roman world, uh, being a hypocrite was like being an actor. You're just putting on a show. It's like you're putting on a mask and you're performing for other people. You want to be noticed. You want to be seen. You want people to look at you. You're putting on a performance. This is the idea behind being a hypocrite. It's not for, for God. It's for other people, the praise of other people. And the religious leaders were big on prayer. It's not that they weren't big on prayer. They were so hyper-religious that, again, they would find certain times and certain days, they would actually plan their praying around wherever the large groups of people were gathering. They wanted to be seen and noticed by other people. That's like you and I going to the mall today, and, and we just we go to the mall, and, and we just we, we get on our knees, and, and we start praying. Crowds of people just walking around us, and here we are praying. Now, I hate the mall. You might go to the mall, but <laughs> what's, what's the idea here? Clearly, you want to be seen. That's the idea. And of course, the, in this case, the idea is for everyone to look at you. Look at how righteous that person is. Look, look at how spiritual they are. All of these crowds of people, you know, people are going into Gap and, and Banana Republic and uh, you know, all of these other stores, those are the stores I shop at, that's all I can think of right now, but, uh, but there's this person, they're on their knees and they're praying. They must be super religious, like they, they're, they're obviously spiritual. They must know, like, God or something, clearly not in a way that I know him, because I, I would never do that. Look at that person, they're, they're praying, and, and it's for everyone to notice. And Jesus is saying, you can totally do that. You can, you can totally, but if you're doing that for the praise and to be noticed by other people, God in his word is saying there will be no reward for you. That is the only reward you will receive is the praise of other people. So Jesus says, don't do that. Don't pray like that. Instead, pray like this. Go in your room. Shut the door where it's just you and God. Nobody else can see. Only God. Not because this is the only way to pray. Not because this is the only uh, uh, time to pray. This is when you have that moment when you can go in your, in your room and shut the door. But there's something special about going in a quiet place, a secret place. It's your place where you go and you meet God. It's quiet. It's just you and your Lord, your Savior, your God, your Jesus. Just you and, and your Father in heaven. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, War Room. War Room came out, I think, uh, kind of around the time I became a Christian, and so anything I saw, whether it was a song or a movie, and it was all Christian-based, I was like, I have to do it. I have to do it. So I see this movie, War Room, and it's the first time I was ever introduced to, to this idea of a prayer closet. Never even heard of that. Um, so at the time I saw that movie, I was living in an apartment by myself, and it was one of those apartments where like the kitchen is in the laundry room, the laundry room's in the kitchen, and the dining room's also in the laundry room, and it's all connected, and 
And it's all one room, basically. However, there was also a separate room that was my bedroom, and then there was a closet. So I could have prayed. The point is, I could have prayed in anywhere, and that, it was quiet. It was just me. But I, I started to pray in that closet. I would shut the door. I had my clothes, my shoes, my dirty laundry, but it was me and God. And I would post. That is not a picture of my prayer closet. <laughs> uh, that is one I found on Google, the Internet. <laughs> uh, mine would not be uh, that organized or fancy looking. Uh, maybe some of y'all have one of those, and that's fantastic. Um, I do not. But um, the idea is you have that space. It's just your space. It's not you and your spouse's space, although that would be okay, uh, but it's your space. It's, uh, you can get away from the kids. You can get away from the, uh, the distractions and the TV and your phone, and it's just you. You shut the door. Nobody else can see except your Father in heaven. It's a quiet place, a secret place. Do you have that place? a secret, a quiet place where you can be alone with God. Do you have that place? You know, you can always come here, by the way. Uh, Monday, uh, Wednesday, and Thursday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., our, our prayer room is open. You can come by yourself. The door is open. Nobody will bother you. Go in there, shut the door, be alone with God. You can do that. You can come to church early and go in that room. Be alone with God. Pray with other people. Do you have that place, that, that quiet, secret place where you don't have any distractions. You don't, you don't even have your phone. You're just alone with God. Jesus goes on in verse 7. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So the religious leaders, the, the self-righteous, the, the hypocrites, they were good at using eloquent words of wisdom spouting off scripture, praying for long extended periods of time. Not as, as a means uh, to draw closer to God, but to draw attention to themselves. They liked to do it around crowds of people. They wanted to be noticed by other people. They thought that that would earn them more favor with God. Hey, look at me, God. I'm on my knees. I'm praying and and. And everybody, all, the, all of these sinners, they're just doing their business and trying to, you know, all these transactions are happening. But look at me, God. But look at me. Hear my prayers. Give me more favor. I'm clearly more religious than they are. Look at me, God. Look how holy I am. I'm using all of this biblical terminology. I'm praying your very words in Scripture back to you. Not only that, God, not only am I memorizing Scripture, but I'm memorizing encyclopedias. I'm using big $10 words like they're eloquent. They're good words, words that most people wouldn't use. I'm not sure if you remember that TV show, uh, mid-90s, early 2000s, called Friends. Friends is uh, by far probably the most popular, widely successful uh, sitcom of all time. Well, in the show Friends, there was a group of friends, six of them, that, that was the show was based off of. One of those friends, his name was Joey. Now, Joey was the least smartest of the group. And that is just a nice way to say that. He just wasn't a bright guy. Well, one day, uh, Joey is in his apartment, and this guy comes by, and he's, he, he's trying to sell Joey a set of encyclopedias. And really, he ends up conning him, and Joey has no money. And the guy's like, well, what, what do you have? And he says, well, I have 50 bucks. So that'll get you one, uh, one copy, one uh, letter of the encyclopedia. And so Joey buys uh, the letter V, um, of the encyclopedia. So, so Joey has that. Now he goes to hang out with all of his friends. We're in the coffee shop. That's where they were. And everybody's kind of having this general open discussion. And Joey starts spouting off words with the letter V. Like, like big $10 words. Uh, words that I've never even heard of. And so everybody's like, 
what is going on here? Joey's using words like big words, you know, SAT type words, right? And uh, so he's catching everybody's attention. The only problem was Joey was using these fancy $10 words, but it had nothing to do with the context of the general conversation. They were just empty words. Joey was just heaping up empty words, returning in void. They, ma- they did not matter. They didn't matter. And Jesus is saying, when you pray for the attention of others with your big, fancy, eloquent words, when you pray for long, extended periods of time, for the praise of other people, you will not be heard on high. That's what Jesus is saying. You don't pray like that and think God's just going to hear you because you're better than everybody else. Prayer is not about getting something from God. Prayer is about being with God. Prayer isn't about getting something from God. Prayer is about being with God. And Jesus begins to elaborate on that. He says this in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed, it's, it's honoring God's holy name with reverence. God's name is different. It's set apart. God's name is, is a name like no other name. His name is holy because God is holy. He is right now at this very moment as we are gathered in this room, seated on high, lifted up in the heavenly realm. That's where he is. Seated on high, lifted up. Our God is the creator and sustainer of all things. He is the supreme ruler over all things. There has never been a president in U.S. history that was the supreme ruler over all things. There's never been someone in power in any country, in any place in the whole world, who was ever the supreme ruler over all things. Our God has been the supreme ruler over all things since eternity past. He exists outside of space and time. God was not birthed into the universe. He always was. In fact, he's the one who spoke the universe into existence. And throughout history, political leaders, rulers, kings, dictators, anybody who's ever had any power over a a culture or a society or a nation or a city, even religious leaders like the Pope today, they have been revered and, and considered set apart in some unique way that's different than everybody else, as if they're the ones who stand in the gap between God and man. And we know that's not true based on God's word, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So Jesus says, God's name is holy. It's, it's set apart, and it should be revered. There is reverence with the name of God. And as a Christ follower, when you address God, the, the God of the universe, the God who is holy, the God who is set apart, the God whose name is above every other name, there is no name like God's name, Jesus says, you can call him Father. Which is interesting because God has many different names. El Shaddai, Yahweh, Elohim, God Most High. There was just always a reverence when it came to God and his name. What did God tell Moses? I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. Many different names for God. Yet Jesus looks at his disciples and, and, and you and I today, and he says, but you can call him Father. He's Father God, and we are his children. And Look, Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. But he did much more than that. You see, when we put our faith in him, we're baptized with him, we begin to follow him, we are now 
a part of his family. Not only is Jesus God's son, we are his sons and his daughters. God is your father. That's what Jesus is saying. He is almighty. His name is Yahweh. And he is your father. And we've all had different experiences with our earthly dads. I guarantee you that. Maybe some of you in this room have had bad experiences with your earthly dad. Maybe you never knew your earthly dad. Maybe he was absent. Maybe he was abusive, whether that be physical or verbally. Maybe he was emotionally vacant in your life. Maybe he was hurtful. Maybe he checked out when you were young or a long time ago. Maybe he was a bad role model. Whatever the case, whatever your experience with your earthly dad, it's given you a skewed view of your heavenly dad. You see, you, you might identify as a Christian, but God is my father. Well, my, my dad was not a good man. He was not a good father to me. How can I call the God of the universe, the one who supposedly saved me from my sins, set me apart for eternity as my father? See, I don't, I don't regard fathers in, in high esteem. But Jesus is setting the record straight, saying the God of heaven is your dad. The God of heaven is your dad. He's perfect. He's flawless. He is a good father. He is present, he is loving, and he is comforting. He can comfort you like nobody in this world can comfort you. He's your refuge and strength and very present help in times of trouble. And we all face trouble. Jesus actually told us that. Your Father in heaven gives. He listens. He's trustworthy. He's a dad that makes you better. He's consistent. He's faithful. He watches over you. He is your shepherd. He's forgiving. He is patient with you. He is consumed with mercy. Your Father in heaven is with you always to the very end of the age. And he is for you. And as bad and as rough as this life may be for some of us at some points, God is saying, I'll help you carry your life through until you are with me in eternity. That is what your dad in heaven will do for you. Jesus is saying, you can call him dad. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, oftentimes prayer, we can all get caught up on, on the things that we want and the things that we need. And let's be real honest with each other. There's a lot of things that we all want. There's a lot of things that I want. And it's certainly not a bad thing to pray and asking God for, for what we need. That is certainly not a bad thing. And it's not a bad thing to, to tell God the desires of your heart. What do you want? Those aren't bad things. But Jesus is telling us when we pray, we need to consider first what God wants. Think about that. When you pray, you have to first consider what does God want? What is his heart's desire? It's okay to express your needs. But what if we began our prayer time expressing how gloriously amazing our Father in heaven is? What does, he, what does his word declare? for your life, and for the church. Prayer is not about getting something from God. Prayer is about being with Him. It's about being with Him. And here's what I know based on the Word of God. God desires His kingdom to be established on this earth and His will to be accomplished in the world. He desires His kingdom to be established on this earth and His will to be accomplished throughout the entire world. Now, what does that mean? It means this. God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And God is patient, not wishing that any should perish, 
but that all should reach repentance. Jesus said of himself, I came to seek and save the lost. I came not for the healthy, but for the sick, those who are in need of a doctor, the great physician. I came to open blind eyes and deaf ears. I came for the lost sheep of Israel and all who would call me by name. So in one sense, God's kingdom, it is being established on this earth through his church, through Christian evangelism. But in another sense, his kingdom has not yet been fully consummated. Maybe you've heard this statement, this saying, the already but not yet. God's kingdom is being established on this earth. We know that through his church, through his people. The Holy Spirit is presently with us. But God's kingdom has not yet fully been consummated. We're, we're, one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And this current earth and heavens, they will pass away. They, there won't be any more pain or sorrow or, or wars or death or cancer or disease. None of that will exist in eternity. That's when God's kingdom will be fully consummated. So we're kind of in this transition, this, this phase of already it's being established, but we're not quite fully there yet. And Scripture promises that there will one day be that moment when Jesus will come for his people and he will raise us up with him and we will be with him for eternity. It's that part in scripture where it, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation will bow to King Jesus. Every tribe and every tongue and every nation across this entire globe will hear the good news. They will. Whether they reject it or not is on them. But everyone will hear the good news. And then God's kingdom will be fully consummated. That's what Scripture teaches us. So in other words, when we pray, when you pray in your life, God, may your kingdom come, what we're saying is, Lord, help us as your church to preach this gospel in all the earth so that others will, will, will be saved from an eternity without you. You know what the worst part of an endless hell is? There is no God there. There is no God there. So God, help us to preach this good news Maybe, maybe, maybe that's your prayer now in your life. Maybe you've never prayed that before. God, help me to preach this good news. Help, help me to proclaim the greatest news in the universe to uh, maybe a coworker. Don't think you have to go into work tomorrow and preach the gospel. Have God help you through his spirit, give you patience, give you kindness, humility. Help, help, ask and pray that God would give you the right words to say. Maybe you need to start a relationship with someone you know who's far from God. And you can be that person in their life, the person who's got Christ in them, the hope of glory. Let that be your prayer. God, help me and help your church to preach this good news in all the earth. So in another sense, Jesus will come soon. He, he will end all the poverty and the disease and the crime and the violence and the wars and the cancer and the death. My first exposure to this idea of uh, the not yet part, I was in Honduras on my first mission trip five years ago and um, we're there, and, and this mission organization, they were uh, in charge of hundreds of different orphanages all over the world. In Honduras, they had several orphanages, several feeding centers, where they housed, they fed, they clothed kids, young kids. No parents, no mom, dad, hundreds and hundreds of them. So we walk into this room, and all of these kids are eating their lunch, and they're trying to feed them. And I heard the missionary, who's been there for a long time, he's from the States, and he's been in Honduras for a long time, and... They say, man, it's, it's, it's been really hard. Finances and so on and so forth. You know, it's, it's gotten really complicated. Trying to care for all of these kids. And, and I heard him whisper to the leader in our, 
in our tr- on our trip, I was standing right there and I heard him say this, I wish the Lord would come quick. I wish the Lord would come quick. End all this poverty. End all so many orphans in all the world. It might shock you how many orphans there are. I wish the Lord would come quick. I remember hearing this and thinking, I don't want him to come right now. I just became a Christian. I want to get married. I want to go to Bible college. I think I want to preach. I'm not ready for God. To, I'm not ready for Jesus to return. I don't want him to come yet. Have you ever felt that in your life? If you're being honest, you, you, maybe you love your house. You love your job. You love your family. You're, you're doing good things. You, you're helping your community. You're serving Jesus' church. Things are good. You're making a difference. You're not doing bad things, but... It, that will all cease to exist if Jesus comes, right? There'd be no need for any of that. Have you ever felt that in your life? I don't want Jesus. I want him to come. In the great, you know, grander of pictures, I want him to come, but I just don't want him to come now. Have you ever felt that? If you're being honest, have you ever felt that? I did. I didn't want him to come in that moment. The more I've become a Christian, the, the more I've read Scripture, the more I've, I've, I've uh, observed our world, you start to mature in your faith. You think, oh my goodness, God, why won't you come? Why won't you just come? And so it's a, it's a very difficult place to be in, I think, in our faith. People haven't heard, and we want them to hear. And if he, you know, Have you ever wrestled with that? Jesus, come quick. It goes on in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. So th- there's no doubt when Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, there were around him a crowd of people who were who were starving, who were living in poverty, who probably had no idea where their next meal was coming from. But Jesus is reaching far past food. This isn't about praying for your next meal. It's much deeper than that. You see, we have a tendency in our flesh to worry about many things. Worry about tomorrow. Worry about our future. What's going to happen in our, you know, we're just in a place where it's a, just a, a very interesting political climate. What's going to happen a month from now? All the worry and the stress and we have a lot to be worried about. We do. We have a lot to be concerned about. We have a lot on our mind. And in 2020, we probably have said this, God, just help me get through this day. Have you said that? God, just help me get through this day. Anybody else think that that sums up 2020? God, help me get through this day. Jesus is saying, hey, when you pray, you have a daddy in heaven who is concerned for your needs. In fact, he says right before he goes into this prayer, he already knows what you need. He already knows what you need. Next week, we're going to be talking about worry and anxiety. We worry, don't we? We always worry. We always stress. But here's what you need to know. God isn't giving you grace for tomorrow. He's not. He's giving you grace for today. He's not giving you grace for tomorrow. He's giving you grace for today. Sometimes you just, uh, you and I both, we just need to be alone with God because he is the only one who can give us what we need. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Our sin, your sin, my sin, is a debt that only God can pay. And forgiveness is like a debt that's been canceled. Jesus is teaching us not only do we need forgiveness, we've received forgiveness because of the cross, we still need forgiveness every day in our lives. So Jesus says, not only do we need forgiveness, but we need to offer up forgiveness to other people. He actually says at the end of this prayer, look, if you forgive others, I'll forgive you. 
But if you don't forgive other people, if you don't forgive your brother and sister, if you don't forgive those who have sinned against you, I won't forgive you. This is the God of the universe saying, if you won't forgive other people, I won't forgive you. That is a deep statement that Jesus is making to us in 2020. If you and I don't forgive people, God will not forgive us. And forgiveness is just an attribute, attribute of God. It's in His nature. He is a forgiving God. And if we're supposed to be more like Him, don't we, you think we should be forgiving? And it's not easy. I know it isn't. And I think the hidden message in this sermon, at, the, at least in this part, is prayer is not about us. Prayer is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about being with God. Understanding who He is. Knowing His heart. The more time you spend with God, the more you'll get to know Him. What are the desires of God's heart? We should all want our desires, the desires of our heart, to be aligned with the desires of His heart. The more time you spend in His Word, the more time you spend in prayer, you will begin to understand God all the more. He is a forgiving God who cancels debts. And so we should do the same. Verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the Bible says in James 1 that God never tempts us with evil. However, he does test us. Let me ask you a question. This isn't, I don't want your response. Have you ever been through a trial? Have you ever uh, experienced suffering? Have you ever had some sort of hardship? See, those are called trials. And we go through those throughout our Christian lives. Some of them might be greater but nonetheless, we all experience trials. And this is a time of our, uh, that we are tested. James talks about this. He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Trials are an opportunity for you and I to grow in Christ. It's a time for you and I to draw closer to our Father in heaven who already knows what you need. If you're experiencing a trial right now, you have a Father in heaven who knows exactly what you need. In those moments too when we're being tested, when we're in a trial, we need to be fully and completely aware that there is an enemy. Namely, the devil. But the Bible says is prowling around like a roaring lion waiting for that moment to devour you and I. And when trials come, this is where he steps in. God doesn't Look at you and what you're experiencing. Look how happy they are. They're so full of joy. You know, they, they have everything that you want. And you're just suffering over here. And yet you're a part of the same church. And God doesn't love you the way that he loves them. That's the devil talking to you. That's what he does. See, Peter talks about how he's waiting for that moment to strike. It might surprise you. It might surprise you that the devil will hang around Christians more than you think. I want to end by sharing this story. Before I came uh, on staff here to be the senior minister of this church, um, I was working at a church. I don't know if many of you know this, but I was not uh, a minister. I wasn't preaching regularly. I wasn't doing any of that. I wasn't leading Bible studies. Uh, I was still in Bible college, but I wasn't yet doing what I felt God had called me to do. And but I'm working at this church. See, my wife was a, a children's pastor, and she was 
She was in ministry. And although I was at the church, I wasn't in ministry. See, I was in facilities. I cleaned pools for 10 years, and then, and then by the grace of God, I got to become on staff at the church that I loved so much. It was the only church I'd ever known. It's where I came to faith in Jesus. And they hired me because I knew how to take care of a pool. And then one of the church, uh, at the church, they had a big pond. And, and that's the only reason I got hired, because I'm not mechanically inclined. I don't know how to work a screwdriver uh, hardly. So it's not like power tools are like not in my, not in my repertoire. So I'm, I'm working this job and, and uh, you know, I really want to be a minister and I want to preach and, and I want to go preach the gospel to all the world and, and I want to do big things for God's kingdom, but I'm in this facilities position and, and I always worked there on Sundays. I was always there. If I wasn't there, it's because I was filling in here. So every other week I'd, I get to be here. My boss, I had an incredible boss. He was amazing. Um, and I loved my job because I got to work at the church and I didn't have to be outside cleaning pools and and uh, there was this one Sunday where, you know, I'm standing around, I'm being facilities, I'm acting like I know what I'm doing, I really don't, I'm just drinking coffee, and um, there's this spill by the, by the couch in the lobby where there were a lot of people waiting to go into service. This member of the church, he comes up to me and says, hey, Nate, uh, there's a spill over there by the, by the couch, can you mop it up? Oh, I was furious. There must have been 50 people gathered around. Each one of them could have mopped that spill. I'm not a janitor. I don't mop floors. So I go over there, I look at the spill, and I'm trying to like wipe it out with my shoe, so it's just, you know, nonchalantly, so it's done, it's behind me, I don't have to worry about it. It didn't work because it was a rather large spill. It clearly needed to be mopped. And so as I'm mopping it, or as I'm thinking through that process, I, I, I guess I have to go get the mop, and I was so mad. I was so angry. And as I walked off, I said, I'm not a janitor. Why don't you mop it up? As I walked to go get the mop, and I was getting the mop out of the the, uh, the room, you know, to keep all the cleaning things, I just thought to myself, wow. Like, I'm on staff at a church. I just spoke to that guy that way. That doesn't really look good. As I was mopping, I thought to myself, God, are you kidding me? I know you've called me to preach. I know you have. And here I am mopping this floor in front of all of these people. I, I had access to the cameras at my church. <laughs> so for security purposes, I guess I was also security. I don't really understand that part either, but I don't know how to use a gun. But uh, I would oftentimes get on the cameras just to make sure all was good. And I would see pastors at the church in their leadership meetings and, and figuring out things to do for the church and for the glory of God. And I'm, I have to go get a mop and I get to do that. And, but God, you've called me to that. And I, I don't get to... What, that's, don't, you, don't, you, don't you see me? Don't, don't you know that that's what I want to do? And, and I'm mopping this floor. And I want to tell you in that moment, I wasn't humble at all. I was very self-righteous, thinking that I'm more than I am. And I believe that in that moment, the enemy struck. Look at you, Nate, mopping this floor. When you know that you're Look at, you know those leaders, they're getting ready. There's a guy, he's going to go preach, and you want to be on the stage, but you're mopping this floor. Look at you. Look at you. The trial could be a moment. It can be a season. It can go on for years. And you need
need to be aware that there is an enemy who wants to strike you. He wants to convince you that you don't have a father who is in heaven who knows exactly what you need. He wants to convince you that you are less loved by your father in heaven than the next person. And the word of God says that is not true. Trials come, church. Jesus says, in this life you will face troubles. But he's overcome the world. And he's saying, Peter's preparing us, hey, there's going to come a time. The devil wants to devour the things that you're doing. And I believe that God would want you and I to know that you're not alone. That you're never alone. He is with you. The enemy is not in control. Our God is in control. And he loves you. Oh, does he love you. There isn't a human being on this planet who loves you the way your Father in Heaven loves you. In fact, your spouse will never love you the way God loves you. Your siblings, your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, your best friend will never love you the way your Father in Heaven loves you. All of your, your earthly daddy will never love you the way God loves you. You want to know why? Because none of those people created you in the womb. None of those people knew you by your name before the foundation of the world. But your heavenly father did. He knows you by your name. And this God is saying, you can call me father. And when there's a moment in your life when you are crying out in desperation, looking up to the stars, saying, Daddy, I just need some help. Scripture promises that our God and Father in heaven, who is seated high and lifted up, will bend an ear to you. He will listen. As Jesus says, he will give you exactly what you need. I want to revisit those three questions, and then I'll we'll worship together. Do you struggle with prayer? Well, Jesus just, t- just taught you how to pray. How often do you pray? Based on the Gospels, we see Jesus is praying early in the morning and early into the evening. Pick a time. Pick a time where you can be alone with God. Maybe that quiet place. Scripture also promise, uh, says, you know, pray without ceasing. Pray in your car if that's the only time that you have. If you have a 30-minute commute, pray the whole time. See how that changes your life. And, and do you pray? If you, if you don't really pray, start now. Spend time with God in His Word and pray. Pray His Word back to Him. We have prayer guides that we offer up. and Now they're going to be posted online. Grab those. Read a, a few verses a day. Pray those verses back to God. Do you pray? If not, start now. It is my desire at our, at our church, Hillcrest Christian Church, that we would be known as a house of prayer. I've mentioned that. We have created a prayer room where you can go and be alone with God. And I've also told you in the past that we're starting a prayer ministry. Well, Margaret Reed, who's a member in our church, is going to lead that prayer ministry. I want to see a lot of people involved in that prayer ministry. See, it's not just going to be on Monday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. She'll have access to get in the building. And if you're a part of that, you can pray with her. Anytime you guys feel like you want to pray, pray about our church. Pray about, about our leaders, our elders, our staff. Pray, pray about our nation right now. Pray that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on this earth as it's being done in heaven. Just pray together. In the words of Margaret, come and be a prayer warrior and join her. She's in the prayer room. You can meet her after. You can talk to her and you can pray with her. And according to Margaret, 
prayer is the most valuable tool that we have. And I agree. So let's stand up, church, and let's pray. Uh, let's worship together.